What's up, everyone? Natalie Dobkins here with another podcast episode. Um, we are going to be answering questions from Instagram. So we're going to go ahead and kick off here, but we're going to start with our opening message of... Um, I'm your host, Natalie Dobkins, where it is our mission to help you live the best life possible with your dog, guaranteed. And today I have questions written out from Instagram that people have asked, and we're going to go ahead and run through them. Go ahead and answer them. So the first question that I have here is actually a very common question that I get which is, I have a husky and I want to know how I can train her to not run away if she isn't with a leash. And recall is a very, very common question that I get. And so if you are having this problem and your dog does not come back to you when you take them off the leash, rule number one is please, please, please do not take your dog off lead if they do not have a recall super important. Um, obviously it is a safety issue. One, you could lose your dog Two, they could run out in traffic and cause harm, not just to themselves, but to other people. They can also run up to other dogs and you can significantly impact another dog's training. You can also traumatize them. You don't know if your dog running up to another dog, if that dog is friendly, um, they could be aggressive, reactive, whatever it may be. So it's really important that if you are asking me the question of how can I get my dog to not run away when I take them off lead is to one, not take them off lead first. That's super important. But for two, what's a little bit more actionable advice is I would for sure start with more long line work. I would get um, maybe a 15 to 30 foot long line. I would go out into the environment and I would start in incremental distances away from your dog. Have a high value reward to them. If that's a toy, if that's food, uh, maybe a game of tug or something like that. Um, get to practicing recalling your dog in an environment that's just outside. Don't choose someplace that has a lot of other dogs running around or, or people, just a lot of activity. Start in that low level sort of environment and starts to build that solid foundation while your dog is still on the long line. There is no rush when it comes to recall of trying to get your dog off the lead. Absolutely no rush at all. So once you have that on a longer line, I would start increasing the requirements of um, either having a longer line or upping the distractions that you are working in. So for me personally, and you know, in dog training, a lot of it does come down to opinions, but um, I personally would not ever feel comfortable taking a dog off lead if they are not e-collar trained. Um, I think that e-collars add a level of reliability and insurance to um, your dog's behavior. Um, and I think that's really uh, a really good way to ensure that you have a solid recall that you can break your dog's attention and focus off of whatever they are focused in on and be able to recall back to you. Um, next question. How do I keep my dog from pulling so hard during a walk? Dog walking is really hard. <laughs> you know, that is one of the first things that I tackle with clients and it really comes down to the dog needs to understand what you're asking of them. So to give you a little bit of perspective, 
for dogs, their social circles are very, very large. For humans, our social is, you know, in just maybe like four to eight feet or so. Like we like to be really close when we are communicating with one another. Dogs, on the other hand, they like to communicate from several yards apart, you know, 60 to 80 feet. Um, that's their social circle. Not all the time, but a lot of the time. And then they move at a much faster pace than humans do. Dogs move from six to eight miles per hour and humans walk anywhere from two to four. So we put a leash on a dog that's six feet long. And uh, we take that, you know, in anywhere from 30 to 80 feet that a dog would have that social circle and we put it to six feet and then we take their six to eight miles per hour and we tell them to walk two to four miles per hour. So that's pretty brutal for a dog. So, you know, having some desensitization to the equipment that you're using, people don't think of a flat collar and a leash as equipment, but that's the equipment that I use most often. You know, before I introduce anything else, I'm working with a dog with food, a flat collar, and just a six-foot leash. So um, making your dog understand what it is that you want of them being close to you. Number two is using that equipment effectively. So many people put the dog's collar down really low. So it's at the base of their neck. They're hanging it almost like a, like a necklace. Their dog wears their collar like jewelry. And that's where the dog is going to pull all of their strength from. And so you want the collar up nice, high, and tight right behind the ears. Um, and you want to positively reinforce them when they are near you that that is what you want. Help them with a food lure of bringing them into that heel position. Practice some drills. I, you know, when I go on a walk, even with my own personal dogs, I am going to do a little bit of back and forths. So what that means is I just walk in one direction and then I turn over my right shoulder and I walk in the other direction and I expect my dogs to turn with me. I do some roundabout turns. So I'll turn over my right shoulder and I'll go in a circle. I'll turn over my left shoulder and I'll go in a circle. And then I'll do figure eights, which is pretty self-explanatory. And then keeping my dogs with me and then rewarding when they are in those positions that I want them to be. So utilize your equipment properly, positively reinforce when they do the things that you want to do. So don't forget to reward your dog. Tell your dog that, hey, but you're doing an awesome job. Please continue doing this. Great things happen when you're in this position next to me. Um, so that would be my biggest tips to you. Question number three. Basic routine for a dog should be, well, that depends on the dog that you have. I cannot answer that for you because my dog's routine throughout the day is set on my lifestyle and um, the types of dogs that they are. I have dogs that are higher energy. They're a more drivey sort of dog, so they require a lot more from me, and so their days are going to look a lot different than, uh, you know, an older Labrador retriever that's not a hyper Labrador retriever who's really content with not really doing much throughout the day. That's going to look a lot different. So, um, but if that was kind of a useless answer for you here, I'll give you an example of what my day looks like. And then I'll give you some tips of what I think could be really helpful. So for my dogs, I wake up anywhere between 6.30 to 7 o'clock almost every day because that's just my lifestyle. And immediately the first thing that they do, they come out of their crates in the morning 
and we go downstairs, we go outside, and we go potty. We come back upstairs, and then they eat in their crates. I get ready to go to the gym, and then they go back into their crates. I go to the gym, I come back home, and then we go for a walk, usually around 20 to 30 minutes or so. It's a structured walk to begin with, and then usually I like to cap it off with some um them just being released to liberty to the environment they can go ahead and sniff things out they can play with one another whatever it may be we come back inside they are free to do whatever they want to do and i go about my day they have potty breaks randomly throughout the day typically like around like noon and then two o'clock and then um, like around like four, we go for another walk of 20 to 30 minutes, which for them um, with my walking pace, it's about a mile, sometimes a mile and a half. So we have our afternoon walk and we do some playing. They get to play with one another. I get to play with them. I take them to new environments sometimes and allow them to sniff around and just be dogs, do whatever they want to do, um, pee on new things. That's Atlas's most favorite thing to do in the entire world. So I let him do that. Um, and then let Aurora torment Atlas a little bit and try to get him to play. And then we come back inside and usually I try and hand feed them their dinner, um, in the afternoon. So we'll work on something new, whatever it may be. I try and teach them new things. I just have them work for their food. Um, and then at night, um, they go into their crate. So I don't have a lot of very strict things. Um, my tips to you would be to create a default day. And so what that would be is what are your large things in your day that you need to do to meet your dog's needs? For me, my personal dogs, their default day looks significantly different than my board and trains default day. So for my personal dogs, um, for them, they just need two walks and they need some engagement from me. Usually that's going to be their dinner. Um, and there's a few rules that they have to follow. And I don't have a lot of rules. I only have a few and I am always prepared to enforce them. So I don't have a lot of rules because I don't want to spend my time always trying to enforce these little rules. So one of them is uh, you don't go into each other's crates and you don't eat each other's food. You don't fight over toys or resources and you don't get up onto the furniture and you don't roughhouse in the house. And those are pretty much my only rules for my dogs. And that is about it. For my boarding trains, however, there's a lot more rules. Um, we practice the climb command often. Um, you're, you are sitting and you are patient before going into your crate, coming out of your crate, before you exit any thresholds, whatever it may be. All of your walks are going to be structured. You're going to work for all of your food and your food is divided up. So you're typically working for your food um, four to six times per day. Um, there's no barking, there's no whining, there's no being up on furniture. There is no trying to engage and play with my own dogs if it, you are inside and I do not allow that. Um, so there's so many more rules. So you need to create this default day for your own personal dogs where it has a steady rhythm and cadence that fits your lifestyle. Don't make a routine of 6.45, got to wake up, 7 o'clock, go out for potty, 7.30, this is breakfast time, and then the walk has to be exactly at 10 a.m. So don't have a routine, just have general structure throughout your day 
have some rules, only have a few of them, and be prepared to enforce those rules, whatever it may be. So just basic routine, you need to come up with that. But hopefully me sharing what my dog's basic routine is kind of helps you. Um, next question. Do you have your dogs in a command all day? No, <laughs> absolutely not. I am so busy. I cannot be sitting here managing my own dogs. That's kind of the goal and the purpose of training is that you want to be able to teach your dogs, hey, this is your role of what is expected of you. And I'm going to teach you all these different things and I am going to assert them. Um, so that way your dog can manage their own behavior. It's it is your responsibility to manage your dog's behavior um, to a certain extent. You want to teach them enough that you can trust them to make the right choices. That's all about what training is. You want the dog to make better choices all the time. Um, and if not, and you haven't taught that to your dog, that's where a lot more household management comes into play. Um, being in your crate, being on a climb, you know, all that different stuff. So my dogs are not in commands all day. They know what is expected of them, what's allowed, what isn't allowed, and they adhere to that. Uh, next question. What to do when an off-leash dog runs up to mine while on a walk and help keeping her non-reactive? This is such a huge question. It's such a huge concern because unfortunately it does happen all the time. And that's why the first question when someone asked, what can I do to not have my dog run away when she's off-leash? Rule number one for me was what? Do not let your dog off lead if they do not have a solid recall. So for these dogs that don't have a solid recall, they are off lead. Um, for me, uh, the first thing that I do is I immediately step in front of my dogs. I have them, I bring them in close to me, and I physically step in front of them. I try to make myself appear larger. I usually drop my tone um, of my, my speaking voice, and I usually use body language of my hands, and I point, and I say, go. Um, I try to make louder, deeper noises. Um, sometimes I try to advance slowly towards them. I don't back up at all. I try to use that spatial pressure. It's pretty rare. I feel like for the dogs that are going to be off lead that are truly aggressive. If they're aggressive, they're not going to stop. Um, most dogs are just friendly and they just want to come and say hello to your dogs. But, um, if you have a reactive dog, um, it's important that you, for me, um, for sure doing literally everything that you can in your power to keep your dog that's a reactive dog from reaching that other dog um, because that will become an explosion and it'll be very aggressive very quickly um, so do whatever you can to protect your dog in that situation um, you know even going so far as you know taking the other dog that's come up to yours by the collar and you have your dog on the collar and physically separating them until the owner of the dog that is off leash can come and get their dog um, and make it very abundantly clear like hey Mate, you got to come get your dog. You come here, come here and you grab your dog. I'm not just going to let your dog run off. Actually come here and take your dog off of me. Um, so physically grabbing your dog and keeping your two dogs apart. Um, but in general, I step in front of my dogs. I keep their leashes very short. I keep them behind me um, and I do whatever I have to do. If I have to, not saying don't kick other people's dogs, obviously, but 
I do, I, and I have had to use my feet to try and push dogs away from me. Um, because I would much rather have a dog that is under frustration and above that emotional threshold of trying to get to my dog, um, have a go at my pant leg or just my leg than trying to bite at my hand. Um, so hopefully that helps a little bit. Next one, what is the best way to help a dog get over her fear of sirens? Um, So yes, so for sirens, but I'm just going to group in pretty much any loud noises that your dog has in a fear or an aversion to. Um, What I have found is if you have a treadmill to use that or using the climb or the place command or um, also playing while you're doing that. Um, and then feeding during those times as well. So I'll go through all of those and kind of explain it. So um, the perfect example would be Evie, my last fear aggressive board and train who had very severe reactivity to other dogs. Um, she had a ton of anxiety. She was extremely fearful and noises were a huge part of that. So, um, oh, sorry, one second. Someone just called me messed up the live stream a little bit okay here we go so um for the treadmill I really like the treadmill because it's very difficult for dogs to be in movement and then also think at the same time so I would put her on the treadmill and then I would play some noises as well I wouldn't make it overwhelming um but I would start to get her a little bit more used to that she'll be in movement um and then have some of these noises so the treadmill is really helpful also playing some noises again not at an overwhelming way um while your dog is on a place or a climb command um but if I have a dog that will play I would prefer to play with that dog, a game of tug or fetch or whatever it may be, um, and have those loud noises. So just look up YouTube um, and play some of those noises because it's very difficult for a dog to be in play mode, um, but then also be in fear mode as well. Those two modes can't really coexist very well. So I would like to do that. Um, And then if your dog is on a place or a climb command while you're playing these like loud noises and trying getting them to be desensitized to that feeding during that entire time as well it's very difficult for a dog just like with play and being in fear those two can't uh, coexist at the same time very well Um, a dog typically won't take food if they're very fearful but we also want to make those noises that they do have an aversion to a more positive experience so feed when you can but those are my biggest tips for um If you have a dog that has a fear of noises, can you share what typical dog schedule for you is like? Well, I already did that one. So um, next one, can temperament change once an adopted dog settles in after a couple of weeks? Yes, absolutely. I 100% think so. Um, You know, kind of think about yourself in a new environment. If you've ever traveled to a new place, let's say that a You travel out of the country and you're going to be there for a week. You know, the first two days is just kind of like you 
stick around the hotel a little bit. You get kind of acclimated to your surrounding area. You check out some of the local stores, you know, some of uh, just where everything is. Um, And then you start to get a little bit more comfortable there and you start to branch out a little bit more. But every single time that you come back to your hotel in that familiar area, you're so much more of yourself and you start to get a lot more comfortable. So, um, you know, I can't remember who had told me one time, but they had said that it takes three dogs for uh, three days for a dog to decompress after being brought into the home and then a week for them to be comfortable and then three weeks for them to be themselves or or something like that but what really stuck with me is just that first part where it takes a dog three days to decompress so for a dog that you adopted I 100% that their demeanor is going to change as soon as they start to get more comfortable with you they get acclimated to your lifestyle the natural rhythm and cadence of your days next question do you use an e-collar to teach downstays? I do not use the e-collar to teach anything. I use positive reinforcement to teach everything. Do I use the e-collar to proof downstays? Yes, I absolutely do. But I do everything incrementally. So I would start with a down and I would build that duration and distance using food and spatial pressure and just a flat collar and a leash. Um, And I would make sure that the dog understands the concept of when I say down, I want you to down, but then I also want you to stay there until I release you. Once the dog has a proficiency in that and I know that they are solid in that behavior, I will add more reliability to that behavior by layering over the e-collar and being able to communicate when the dog breaks that down from a distance um, that I'll be able to communicate, no, incorrect, please try again, don't get up from the down. So I don't use it to teach, but I do use it to add reliability or proof. How do you feel about dog parks? Ooh, <laughs> Uh, I do not like dog parks. Um, they are very dangerous. However, they do have their use. And I think that they are only as dangerous as the people and the dogs that are there. So for the most part, enclosed dog parks can be very dangerous because people choose closed in or like fenced in dog parks typically because their dogs do not have enough obedience for a reliable recall. So that tells you a little bit about the dogs that are there and sometimes the people. Um, For two, um, keeping dogs that close together, I just feel like that's more of a recipe for trouble. And three, most owners do not, it's either it's sometimes it is that they just do not care about their dog's behavior. But I think most of the time it just comes down to uh, just not being educated in reading dog body language. And so they don't realize when another dog is coming up and, you know, being aggressive or posturing to their dog. Um, And so it really depends on the dogs and and the people that are there. I love to use dog parks for obedience and, to, and it's a little bit of socialization because your dog is able to be in the presence of other dogs and not interact with them, but just being okay being there um, and not feeling the pressure to have to go and say hi or to play or whatever it may be. It's a really great distraction. Other dogs are a huge, huge competing motivator or distraction 
for other dogs so dog parks i do not go to them i do not recommend them if you are a trainer um and you have a high level of control and obedience out of your dogs i think that it would be fine but for the um you know pet owners out there i say no don't go to dog parks. It's it's just not a safe place. And it only takes one time for your dog to have a bad encounter with another dog for them to potentially be reactive or aggressive or fearful, whatever it may be. <clears throat> Next question. How would you correct dogs getting into the trash when not at home? Side note, too long for crating. That's a very difficult one. And I have very mixed feelings on this um because I know that life circumstances change and I know that uh you know even speaking from you know my my own experience I've gone through several different jobs while um I have had my dogs and there are definitely times where I felt like I would be gone for too long to have my dogs crated. So I am not, um, you know, to whoever asked this, judging your lifestyle or any of your choices, but I do think that if you have a job or if you are doing things that you cannot put your dog into a crate for that period of time, um, it's something that you need to reevaluate if you should have that dog because that also signifies and tells me that you probably also don't have enough time to fulfill um your dog um naturally of like what they need or be able to care for them properly um however in those situations where I was working a job and I felt like my dogs were going to be in the crate for a really long time, um, for me, I don't like having my dogs in their crates for eight hours. Even six hours makes me feel a little uneasy. I don't like that. But in those times that I did have to have them in their crate for eight or more hours, I exercised them a lot. I made sure that they had everything that they needed to in their crates, that they had uh, mentally stimulating toys, they had water, um, that they already went potty, everything like that. So I would definitely say, um, crate your dog it's such a huge safety issue for your trash can um and leaving your dog out if your dog is getting into the trash can that means that they have a lot of stuff that's not being fulfilled and they are going if it's not the trash can it's going to be something else 100 so you really 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 do need to crate your dog or if it is really only the trash can then you do need to be able to set up a situation and scenario where um, in the only way that I, I would recommend teaching this is obviously with an e-collar, but set up a situation or scenario where you are out of this space, but you're able to view your dog in the trash can. And once your dog goes to the trash can, the correction needs to come from the source. The correction comes from the trash can. It's the same thing if your dog does counter surfing or eats poop or anything like that. It is a correction to the point where the dog will not try that behavior again. Um, but actually, I think that will um, popped in here. Uh, high level correction and associate it to the trash can, not you. Yep. 
exactly. Yep. And Will, we had actually talked about this before of the two different types of corrections. And correct me if I am wrong, but there are two different types of corrections. Corrections that come from you and then corrections that come from the source. And so when it comes to the things like the trash can, counter surfing, um, poop eating, whatever it may be, those corrections come from the source and they do not come from you. Um, but my biggest recommendation for you is you really do need to crate your dog, make sure that they are exercised, they are fed, they went potty before you put them into the crate because if they're getting into the trash can, they're going to get into something else and it's a huge safety concern. So make sure that you do that. Or you need to put them into the crate and then ask a neighbor, a friend, pay someone to come and let your dog out of the crate so that way they can go potty, do all that stuff, and then go back into the crate. Um, so that would be my recommendation to you. Um, next question. Um, and then this will be the second to last question. Then I will answer the questions from Instagram. Um, cause I want to keep this at around 30 minutes for the podcast episode. Best. Oh, let's okay. That was worded interestingly. Um, best exercises for confidence building is essentially what they asked uh, disjointedly. So for confidence, I think that the best way without having any formal obedience would be to just take your dogs outside, take them hiking, get them out into nature and encourage them to get up on top of things, go over obstacles, climb on top of stuff, sniff a bunch of things, go under things, do things that, um, just fulfills them as a dog being out in nature that's we have to remember that's where dogs would naturally be that is their natural environment so get them out in nature get them up and over the top of things basic obedience training helps a ton with confidence building as well it adds clarity to the dog's life it helps relieve a lot of anxiety introducing structure into your dog's life as well helps um, with building confidence because the dog knows how to operate within their day and within their life what their role is and the expectations within that and what all the rules are um, having a climb command and doing that on random different things so Evie the dog that I had when we would go outside on our structured walks I'd have her climb up onto those um, big green electrical um, boxes that you see outside, um, you know, on big rocks, on um, those manhole cover things that are like really big or, or sewer covers. I, I don't really know what they're called, but getting her up on top of a lot of different things in the environment like it doesn't have to be hiking you can just go outside and you know practice that all that different sort of stuff um I would also say that playing with your dog adds a level of confidence as well and then I personally um besides climbing on different things or placing on different things I would say that the treadmill helps a lot with building confidence with nervous dogs as well so very last question um, is going to be, how can I get my dog to ignore squirrels? I've tried using treats, even people food. So this is where it comes down to motivation. Um, and there are a couple of different options that you can do, and I will discuss all of them. And I'm sure that there's a lot of different ways to do this. I'm just going to give you a few of them. So one is going to be you need to increase the level of motivation for what you have. So say, for example, that you have a piece of food with you and that piece of food 
is going to be out of 10 of motivation, that piece of food is going to be five out of 10 for motivation for your dog. So you're walking along, nothing is in the pathway. Your dog is going to listen to you fine when you try to motivate them with food because sniffing the ground or going and peeing on something or whatever it may be has a three out of five motivation and your food is five or three out of 10 motivation and your food is five out of 10 motivation. So they're going to take that food. They see a squirrel and the squirrel is eight out of 10 motivation. Your food, which is five out of 10 is going to be absolutely powerless. So one of your options is to work really hard with your dog and make yourself and the food very engaging and very motivating for them where it takes that food motivation from a five out of 10 to a nine out of 10. So that way it beats the motivation of wanting to get to that squirrel, which is eight out of 10. However, I think that that is very difficult to do. Is it possible? Yeah, 100% for sure. Especially if you um, are able to condition markers correctly and utilize possibly a clicker as well and have just almost an innate reflex to your markers or your clicker or your whistle or whatever it may be. Um, However, that's the really powerful thing about e-collar training is that the e-collar can fluctuate in motivation for your dog. Um, And so, for example, just the e-collar being on your dog has a motivation of, we'll call it one out of 10 because the tools are on the dog. And your dog sees a squirrel, which is eight out of 10. Using an e-collar, you can provide motivation to your dog of nine out of 10. So that e-collar communication is now larger than the squirrel motivation. And you can also communicate to your dog in a way that says, hey, bud, I know that you want that, but I'm just letting you know, sorry, you, you just can't get to it. This is a rule that is in place for our walk and that's what's going to be. And if you try to go to that squirrel that has an eight out of 10 motivation for you, I will provide you with nine out of 10 motivation to not do that. And when you don't do that, I will reinforce you with the food motivation, even though it's lower, but for dogs, they would rather take some than nothing. So that is my advice to you of being able to either increase the value of whatever it is that you're trying to reinforce and motivate with or provide a different sort of motivation, a correction for your dog when they try to engage with things in the environment that they are not supposed to. Um, In this instance, it's a squirrel, but sometimes it can be another dog where your dog may be missing out on the social cues, but you can very visibly see that they are not a balanced dog. They could potentially be reactive or aggressive, Um, you know, whatever it is. There are some things in our dog's life where I know you want to get to it, buddy, but you cannot get to it. And that's just going to be the fact of the matter. So Anyway, I'm going to wrap up this podcast episode here and then finish answering the questions here in the live stream. But thank you guys so much for tuning in to this podcast episode, answering questions from our audience on Instagram. Um, I'm going to try and do these more often. So if you want to follow along on Instagram, uh, the handle is at canine underscore performance and that's canine, C-A-N-I-N-E underscore performance all spelled out. Um, Anyway, thank you guys so much for listening along. You can find us on um, Apple or also Spotify as well.